Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the Writerflex podcast, we're very honored to have guest JoLynn Whiting. She's the chair of Boardbound by Women's Leadership Foundation. Their mission is to open more board positions to women in Colorado and beyond. JoLynn Whiting on the RiderFlex podcast. How are you doing, JoLynn? Great. Thank you. So are you in Denver today? Somewhere down there in, in, in uh, Central, North? Where are you? Aurora, Colorado. You're in Aurora. Okay. Uh-huh. Very good. But if I am reading your accent right, combined with the school I saw you went to on your LinkedIn profile, it looks like you're, you're a Texas girl. Am I wrong about that? <laughs> That's right. I grew up on the ranch that my ancestors settled 175 years ago. So, wow. very, um, very yeah, cool. it was a, a, a great, great uh, childhood. And uh, my father was a rancher and uh, my mother uh, was a teacher and then a homemaker. Ah. I have a younger brother who is still running the ranch now. Uh, he has about uh, 70 horses and 350 cattle, so about a thousand acres. So, very cool. A lot of places to roam. Can you still make my money? Sister, can, can, can I, you... She wouldn't want me leaving her out. Oh, <laughs> go I ahead. I have a younger sister uh, that is a, a teacher uh, there in the local area. What town was this? Where'd you grow up? It's called Bells, Texas, B E L L S, like bells ringing. So you went to Texas Wesleyan, right? I believe. Mm-hmm. Probably went there on scholarship, I'm guessing. Well, I had a small scholarship and I also worked uh, during college. And my father sold a calf each year for each of us to save up money for us to go to college. Nice. So uh, it was uh, great. I really, I really loved uh, going to college. I ended up English major, math minor. Um, but I, and I got a teacher certificate because in the rural area that I was at, uh, the sort of the men were ranchers and the women were teachers. (laughs) (laughs) That was the thing, but I, I, uh, I didn't really, uh, want to teach. And so that led me into coming to Colorado, uh, finally, because, uh, as I, after I graduated my college roommate had lived in Colorado for a year with her husband and they loved it. So I'd heard good things about it. And then I investigated the university. I got accepted into the PhD program at University of Colorado in Boulder on educational research, (laughs) which was sort of a prestigious thing in that narrow field. But um, I felt like I needed, uh, I did not have any money. Uh, left for my graduate school. So I needed to work a year and qualify for in-state tuition. Mm. And uh, that's how I got started at what was called Mountain Bell at that time. I was a service rep, a person you call when you're ordering telephone service. Okay. Okay. All right. So working and and, and you did that for a year before you started school again, or how, how long did you do that? Well, what happened is at the end of that year, I was offered a promotion. Okay. And the reason I was offered a promotion is uh, the, the Bell system at that time was very well organized. And it was in the computer that I had a math minor and that I'd had one computer class. <laughs> <laughs> so I was offered a promotion to a computer programmer. And uh, so I had to decide. And so I really gave it a lot of thought, but decided that I would stay with business and I would uh, switch to an MBA, okay. which I ended up, uh, it took me 10 years actually, uh, from the time of my undergraduate to my MBA, because uh, while I was working, I put my career first 
And during that time, I did progress in my career. And so I'd always, I, I'd take incompletes if I needed to concentrate on a project at work, and then I'd have to go back. And so, but I did get my MBA then, and I did decide to pursue business. Were you living in Boulder the whole time? No, no, I no. moved to Denver. Oh, you lived in Denver. Okay. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Okay. Okay. Going to school in Boulder, but was, was Boulder like the hip, cool no, no, town it, it is now? It was. Boulder would have been hip and cool, but I ended up, when I switched to MBA, I ended up getting the University of Colorado at Denver for me. Ah, I got you, got you. Okay. Because that was right across the street from where I worked. So. Oh, I see. <laughs> Much easier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> traffic uh, back then was a little easier than it is now, I think, maybe, huh? Yeah, a whole lot different back in the early 70s. Uh, when I worked downtown, it was totally dead. I ended up taking the bus to work for uh, a, about a decade or so. And uh, Interesting. Interesting. But it was, uh, I would sometimes work late when I, I remember being a, waiting for a bus at 7 o'clock at night and nothing was going on in downtown Denver. Wow. Interesting. You know, I, uh, I, my grandfather was uh, an oil field worker and bootlegger from Oklahoma. <laughs> and uh, he, they used to, they used to run Coors beer from Colorado down into Oklahoma back, oh, back in the day. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> if you could get, if you could get Coors, you know, somewhere else, that was a big deal. It really was. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're off to the races, your career's progressing. Um, you know, talk to us a little bit about that first time you reached the, the executive level, VP level, share a little bit of that as you kind of move us through your career, if you don't mind. Yeah. And actually, and I benefited from the EEOC consent decree with AT&T. Mm. So AT&T had the largest consent decree in history, uh, from, and it went from 1973 to 1978. Okay. So I started as a uh, service rep. I got promoted to management after the year, and that was before the consent decree. And then the consent decree happened. And so what happened is AT&T probably didn't discriminate any more than other uh, companies, but they just kept good records. <laughs> so okay. if you, uh, you took an entry-level test, and if you made over a certain level when you were a woman, you started as a service rep. You still did good, but uh, below that level, you started as an operator. Okay. If you were a man, you took the very same test. And if you made over that level, you started as a manager. And wow. if you were below that, you started as an installer repair person. Which I see. Installer repair person paid a lot more than an operator, and a manager paid a lot more than a service rep. <laughs> wow. So um, that was a fun time because a lot of, when I've gone to break, before that, you know, the conversation tended to be family or kids, husbands, what people were doing. And then after that, when women said, aha, I could really have a career, <laughs> you could see the energy switch so much. Really? Uh, so many women went back to school, went, uh, really became serious about their career. And, um, so then I, I was also promoted to middle management. I uh, ended up okay. taking a job in Detroit, Michigan. Grew up in Texas and then lived in Colorado. And all of a sudden you're in Detroit. That's a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. And it was a, a suburb of Detroit, but it was an AT&T assessment okay. where we evaluated people that were uh, at uh, lower management going to middle management. Okay. So I learned a lot. I traveled around the country and, and married married at the time or no? Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm okay. married uh, I'm in, uh, in my uh, early career uh, okay. to Frank, who okay. I'm still with and love very much. So oh, that's awesome. <laughs> still a that's big awesome. part of my life. So, so that's you, nice to have a partner. Very good. Partner. Very, very good. How long have you been married? You mind me asking? Well, let's see. What would that be? <laughs> I love how you're having to pause a little it's bit. It's going to be about, uh, I'll, we'll be celebrating our golden anniversary within a couple of years. So. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So, okay. So he's with you when you go to Detroit or that area. No, no. He always oh. kept our home in Colorado. Oh. And right. so I was in uh, the Detroit area for about six months and I, 
I guess this is one of the lessons you talk about is uh, being willing to grab those opportunities when they mm -hmm. come. Mm -hmm. uh, so after that in my career, I later took a job in uh, San Diego for two years. Later, I took a job in uh, Seattle for two years. After I left uh, my career at US West, I ended up uh, consulting in Europe, Singapore, Australia, spent a year as an expat in a te telephone company in uh, Australia. So part of uh, that willingness to prioritize my career and, and take those opportunities, and but Frank always chose to keep our home, which we're still in, to keep, uh, I traveled a lot back and forth, he traveled back and forth, but um, we uh, telecommuted, tele, tele, we telephoned yeah. every night, of course, but then yeah. uh, commuting a lot on airplanes. Are you telling me that you guys have had the same house down in that area in Aurora for, for, for many, many, many years? Uh-huh, since the early 80s. Woo. Okay. I'm not even going to ask you what you paid for that. Cause I don't want to, you, you, you're going to make me, you're going to make me envy you if I, if I ask you, so don't even tell me, don't tell me. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a, probably a little less than it's valued at today. I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, okay. So awesome career. I mean, awesome career mm -hmm. as you're moving along. Did, did the promotions came from your leadership skills and, and all of that and your hard work, I'm assuming, the, the leadership part, the management part, do you think, did you get that from your mom or dad or both, or, or, or was that just you? You know, uh, I think my parents, I mean, my father, I remember, I mean, he, he, he would work from sunup to sundown. Yeah. And in my early career, I always identified more as my mother, with my mother growing up, because she's the one that invested a lot of time with me, because my mm -hmm. father was generally working. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she helped my leadership skills, I think, because she gave me a lot of confidence and was very interested in me. I mean, every day when I would come home from school, she'd spend about a half hour or so debriefing the day. Really? She knew all 30 students in my school, which tended to not have a whole lot of turnover through the years. Uh, she, we'd talk about what happened, you know, dilemmas tensions, how I felt about the teacher or how my interplay with the other kids. And, and she would uh, talk through what ifs with me, what I might do differently, what I might do. So that awesome. all I think That's was great. foundational skills, you know, that later, I later called upon. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that was more like my father than I realized because uh, in my uh, career, I would often wake up at 4.30 in the morning because I, wanted some quiet time before, because my day was totally booked from the, definitely eight to five later, 7.30 to seven. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but having that quiet time to think and work and really plan and strategize was useful. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then I remembered how my, my father always getting up so early and, and having such a strong work ethic. So I guess I learned from both of them. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. And so then at some point you started getting, you started landing board positions. You walk us, kind of, kind of walk us into. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Getting to middle management was one thing, but then uh, there was a little, uh, there was, I was, I'd had a great job. I had a job working for uh, a vice president. I was financial analyst, sort of looking over three profit units that he managed. Okay. And then, uh, so that was a great opportunity. But then I, I, I felt sort of stuck because I'd been there a while. All right. So I made a change and I went to manage pay phones. Now this was in the 80s and we knew cellular was coming. We knew that wasn't the most popular area in the world to be in, but I wanted line experience. Oh. I had uh, gotten to middle management mainly through staff and I felt it was very important that I get line and operations experience. And the part I liked about the, I had payphones for seven states and it had a profit and loss center. And when I first went there, we were at the lowest level. I loved the benchmarking because in the bell system, we could benchmark with the other 
uh, telcos and we were at the lowest and we got up to the top half, the top, probably the top third by the time I left in two years. And so I loved having those profit metrics, customer satisfaction metrics, and a large work team that okay. uh, promoted to, that reported to me. But it wasn't the most popular area, you know, in the uh, company. Because, and I think that's, uh, so I took a sidestep to that to get that experience. Okay. But later, when I talked to executive recruiters, they valued that job a lot more than it had been valued internally. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it, I did manage a profit center. I had a balance sheet. I, you know, I could talk about all of those metrics and how it came together. Uh, so after that, I was, uh, my first upper management job was uh, in strategic planning for U.S. West. This was after the divestiture of AT&T and three belt operating companies were brought together to form U.S. West in the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I got to be a uh, report to the executive vice president, report to CEO. That's where I had a lot of interaction. Uh, with the executive team and help prepare for board meetings of that company, which was that's your that's your first yeah Fortune 100 and first experience at the VP level, yeah. interact interacting with the, with okay great all yeah. right yep. But after well, I, I re decided again I needed line experience, so this time I went to Yellow Pages and I this it we had the Yellow Pages within the 14 states where we were the major leader, market leader. Okay. But we had also acquired Transwestern Publishing in San Diego, which was a competitive Yellow Pages company. Mm -hmm. And so when I uh, went to San Diego and had that job for a couple of years as vice president of marketing, I was involved as we sold that company. Uh, when I went there, uh, it <laughs> the first day I reported the job after I'd moved to San Diego, uh, I was uh, asked to help put together a presentation to the U.S. West executive team as to why we should not close down uh, the unit. <laughs> so that was a little uh, disturbing, but we put together a plan. And uh, as a matter of fact, we did get to break even. A lot of that, uh, one of the secrets I'd learned there is be honest with employees. Uh, you know, they had not wanted to share with the employees what the financial situation was, afraid that people get too discouraged. But really, as we got, uh, we began having uh, a lot of information sharing of exactly where we were at, where we needed to be, a lot of engagement is how we get there. I ended up going on, uh, I remember flying to Houston to help with the biggest sale the company ever had by proving how many calls uh, this uh, plumbing and repair company got. Uh, so that was uh, great. And it, we were able to invite the CEO out to celebrate us uh, being positive. Very cool. And later I, I went uh, to US West uh, direct the Yellow Pages company as a strategy lead. And I was involved in the sale of Transwestern, but because we had gotten in better financial shape, mm -hmm. we were able to make a, um, a very favorable sale. Later, Transwestern Publishing sold, uh, after we sold it, because that team went ahead and did great work, they ended up getting the highest EBITDA return um, when they sold, 16 times EBITDA, which nice. for the industry was the highest. Okay. Congratulations. Very good. But uh, yeah, so uh, I, uh, besides Yellow Pages, I was in charge. I was uh, the exec, I was the officer of the company in charge of local markets on the telco side. Okay. Uh, working in 14 states as we were bringing in cellular and broadband. I love how your career touches almost every function, right? Whether it's operations, finance, marketing, sales. I mean, yeah. really, the only thing you haven't mentioned is HR, but you've been in management the whole time. So that is HR really by nature, right? So yeah. uh, you touched almost every function as you're moving up, which probably that just made you a much better 
well-rounded executive overall, having come through several different functions. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, it, it, I, that was partly by design. Uh, I had Good. to seek that from time to time. A, a few things happened, uh, uh, luckily. But uh, I remember early on, I read a book. It was called uh, Games Your Mother Never Taught You. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> one of those early, early uh, books about women succeeding in business. And okay. it talked about uh, make your career path to be a CEO. Okay. And uh, you don't have to tell everyone that, but do it because, and look at every job you have along the way from a CEO perspective. So even if you're, uh, when I was the service rep, why was that job important to the investors? Why was that job important to the CEO? How did that, help with retention of customers and uh, revenue and that sort of thing. And, and so if you're going to be a CEO, I figured you needed to know all those different functions you just named. And so uh, while I did not become the CEO of that company, I did become an officer. And I, I do think that advice of uh, getting a well-rounded career, uh, both with the market leader, with a competitive upstart, helped me. Mm -hmm, for sure. And so then uh, you, did you start thinking, hey, uh, in 20, I don't know, 2010, tw are we thinking I'm going to retire, but then you got pulled in some boards. How did you decide what to do next? And how did you get to, you know, what you're doing now and, and lead and kind of walk us into that? Like, were you thinking yeah. I'm, reti I'm retired, I'm done? And because, <laughs> you know, you know, as, as the listeners will, will soon understand, you know, you are the chair of the board of directors, right, for, for Board Bound by Women's Leadership Foundation. And I just want to kind of walk us into, like, how did you get into that? How did that yeah. start? And go, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, um, the reason I left U.S. West is because a man named uh, Joe Nancio and uh, Phil Anschutz, it, it was the, the person behind the chair of the board, at Quest decided to acquire U.S. West. Okay. And so I, um, I didn't feel good about that uh, acquisition. And fortunately, I was in a position that I could uh, choose to leave. Uh, I was on that uh, defined pension plan, which is a wonderful benefit, but it's sort of a stair step. You're either at the level, you get nothing or you get a pension. And I was mm -hmm. just at that point at about 50 where I uh, qualified for the pension and I was able to leave. I, I felt really badly for a lot of the uh, people that I uh, respected that were sort of trapped, uh, mm. you know, in that situation, but I wasn't. Okay. Did you and have stock? Did you have, did you have stock, a lot of stock too, or no? I had a lot of stock and without knowing it, the best thing about me leaving when I did is I, I was in my um, 401k you, everything the company had matched was in Quest stock. Okay. And okay. I was able to sell it at about $50. Within that next year, it was down to yeah. 40, 30, 20. It got as low as $2. Woo. Okay. And so <laughs> if I had stayed, I would have watched mm. a lot of my uh, savings, as, as unfortunately a lot of other people did. Mm. Uh, it was, their savings were trapped there and, and were left. But I didn't realize that that was one of the, uh, may, that was the smartest thing about leaving. And so I took a little time. I, I had been, uh, you know, a real 60 plus hour uh, week person. So I took a little time for, with the thought of being a life of leisure. Good. And uh, did that for a while. We traveled a lot and, and uh, took some time. Nice. I, that's after good. After a couple of years, I've been uh, consulting again and uh, uh, again for some uh, entrepreneurial ventures uh, in technology. And then uh, that's when we, I did a lot of the consulting internationally and loved it. And then uh, after about a decade, I decided, you know what? I do love Colorado. <laughs> My husband's in Colorado. I'd really like to spend more time there. So that's where I still consult, but uh, I'm, I choose the projects that I want to be involved in now. And um, mainly then I looked around for where I could make a difference. Okay. And I was 
I felt really good when I was at US West because uh, when I started, I told you that I started as a service rep and that was at the time of the consent decree. But there was one woman at middle management. Less than how, how, many, how many employees? Yeah. Do you remember how many employees? Oh, total? At the highest, it was 70,000, I think. 70,000. At that point, I can't recall exactly. But when I left, uh, we were at 42% at middle management. Okay. We were at 27% women as officers. Uh, we had a woman as one of the top five named executive officers, as well as a Hispanic mm -hmm. uh, man. So I had been very involved after the consent decree uh, had stopped. Uh, there was a, a little bit of a stagnation for women. Okay. And I uh, was uh, president of U.S. West Women and Employee Resource Group uh, within the organization. And we did a lot with the CEOs and with the officer team to really make a difference uh, in general and for women of color in particular. And I was very proud at the end of that time that we had twice as many women on our board and twice as many women as officers as the Fortune 500. And uh, women made 84 cents on the dollar of what men make. And that's what it, that's what it, it was when you left or that's when or that's, I left when I left which is very very good because you realize today 20 years later it's at 82 cents nationally yeah I did not know that you are you you're kidding me I yeah. I'm, see, I'm I'm always stunned by those stats I just I let can't me show you one other thing is this showing up right 59 me, cents I think so yeah yeah yep I can see it cents. yeah so in the early 70s, I got this little button and it's 59 cents on the dollar. And, it, and that's what women made uh, when I started the company. Well, we, and, haven't made much, we haven't made much progress then if it was well, 80. Well, you know, 59 cents to 82 cents nationally is good, but. Yeah, but so it, was 80, it was 84 <laughs> when you left and it's gone down. <laughs> well, what I'm saying, it was 84 at U.S. West okay. when I left, okay. which was quite a bit higher. I think for okay. the national at that time, it was about 73 cents. Mm, mm. So we were about 11 cents higher than right. the national average. And the national average went up from 73 to 82 over the last 20 years. So we were, wow. we're at, uh, still have a big gap. But wow. um, so when I, I, I felt really good about those steps forward while I was in my career and I thought about, you know what, I've been away from Colorado. I need to reconnect in Colorado. Is there some way we could create that magic and get, uh, make that progress? And that's when I looked around and I thought, I saw after studying that the real glass ceiling for women at that point was getting on boards. Okay. So uh, in Colorado in 2011, we only had 7% of the board positions of Colorado public companies held by women. Wow. Wow. So, what was it? Do you remember what it was nationally then? We were a little bit below national. Okay. Okay. Um, so then I, uh, I, I wanted to get involved. And, and so yes. I, I looked around to see who was making a difference. And I found Women's Leadership Foundation, Board Bound by Women's Leadership Foundation. Okay. And they had a board program that it was in its infancy. And uh, so the, and they'd begun the first study. So I uh, have, was very interested in that. And I got involved first in saying, okay, but you know what? There's a lot of women already that are qualified that aren't yet on boards. So it's not just board prep. It's really the demand side. And okay. I, how do we work with the CEOs here in Colorado to make progress and make Colorado a leader? And so we started CEOs for Women on Boards as a initiative within uh, Board Bound by Women's Leadership Foundation. And just last week, we updated our study and we're now at 19%. So 7% well, okay. to 19%. Um, major, major improvement, still got a long way to go. Improvements. <laughs> um, but it's still, uh, you ask how we compared nationally and that's a couple of percentage below, points below nationally. 
Mm. But partly because we have a lot of oil and gas and natural resource companies. Okay. And we have a lot of technology companies and both of those tend to have fewer women. Mm. But I'm very proud of the natural resources companies. They doubled the proportion of women on their boards within the last couple of years. And we also, when we started, uh, only 44% of the companies in Colorado had even one woman on their board. And, and how, now it yeah. is the majority. It's about 80%. How did so, you, what, what were some of the tactical steps? Are you, are you like calling CEOs? Uh, are you having relationships with CEOs and you're challenging them to say, hey, I saw you had a board seat open. That needs, that needs to be a, a woman on that seat. I mean, how did you do that? How'd you, well, how'd you, we tried positive reinforcement and okay. we tried success cases. I see. So we uh, worked the first thing we did, well, first of all, we send a letter of congratulations to anyone that adds a woman to the board. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, if you add a woman to your board, we care, we're noticing, we applaud you for that. We're excited about that. So there is some of that. Uh, we also have gotten uh, articles in the paper every year about where we are on the study. What I just shared with you, though, is fresh off the press not okay. yet reported to the news. <laughs> but um, the, uh, the main thing we did is we worked with some uh, CEOs, uh, uh, Dave Lineker of Remax, uh, Jerry Stead of IHS Market, at the time, Gary Goldberg of Newmont Mining. All of them had women on their boards, two or three women on their boards. Okay. And uh, Newmont uh, ha has gone up to five now. So, and Newmont has a um, woman board chair from UK, nice. Doreen nice. Doyle. Nice. So uh, here they are in gold mining around the world and they're, it's a non-traditional company, but they've been very successful uh, and they've done it with diversity. So we asked then CEOs to invite their fellow CEOs and board directors to meetings of about 30 to 50. Uh, so we would meet, would have, uh, would ask some of them to share what happened, how they accomplished what they did. And then we would, uh, work with, uh, we'd have table discussions and we'd have those that didn't yet have, uh, people on the board. We tried to create a safe space, you know, because we wanted, uh, we assumed they wanted to, and that it was just a matter of knowing how and make it, and being able to do it readily. Uh, we started a program called Board Connect. Some of them told us, well, I don't know. I don't know who to, uh, women. And you know, if they're a large company, they can hire a search firm and hopefully they will ask the search firm to be sure they get diverse candidates. But a lot of companies, even, even fairly good sized companies, don't do that. Mm. Uh, a lot of times it's a network. It's a network. And, so we uh, asked to become part of that network <laughs> and we have a program called Board Connect. And uh, so we're not a full search firm. I know, I know you understand that business yeah. very well, yeah. but what we do is we say, tell us what you're looking for and we will introduce you uh, to women with those qualifications. And then you can take it further in, uh, you know, with it with the interview and, and your, uh, do you reach out, election. do you re, do you, do you reach out to CEOs that you don't have a relationship when you, when you find out that they're looking for a board seat, let's say you don't know. We them, have, we have, you but you, you know, say, it, a lot of times they don't announce that they have a board yeah, seat. Right. Yeah. Open. So we just <laughs> tried to help get the word out. And, um, we also have talked to a few search firms and said, if you are interested in some additional candidates, we'd love to help you. Okay. And although we focus in Colorado, we're part of a national network. Uh, there's a group called Ion Women that is a affiliation of about eight other regional organizations like ourselves focusing on this. Mm -hmm. uh, we're part of the 30% coalition nationally. Okay. Uh, which is a lot of investors and other groups. Uh, I have to give credit to investors. Uh, the fact that a lot of investors have looked at the research, that companies perform better when they have women on their boards, 
uh, and have started asking questions of, well, why aren't you applying this? I think it's made a huge difference. By the uh, way, so. by the way, can I ask a question right there? One of the things that popped into my head when I was studying the website and studying uh -huh. you and I, and I saw the stats like, you know, you, you have some great stats on your right. website where it says, hey, right here, it shows that if you have a diversified board, they perform yeah. better, blah, blah, blah. You know what I asked myself? I said, but why? Is it because, why though? Is it because, is it because if you have a more diversified board and women on the board that helps them make better decisions, they create different thought processes? Why? I guess I'm just wondering yeah, why. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was a fair question. I was like, okay, well, this is cool, but why is that happening? Why is that? Yes. I yeah. mean, part of it is diversity in general. Okay. Uh, you know, I went to the Center for Creative Leadership in uh, 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 Colorado Springs. And okay. they, uh, one of the things they do is they have you, uh, if you have a larger team, it makes a better decision than one person. Okay. But, and if that team has diverse voices with different yeah. perspectives, you make a better decision than you would. Yeah. So part of it is general diversity. But the other things that we found is that uh, the effort norm of the whole board goes up if a woman joins. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think if a woman joins the board, you know, she's going to, she's going to take it very seriously. She's going to really <laughs> value that. She may not, it may not feel as clubby to her because she may be a little more independent. Uh, so she will ask good questions. And as she asks good questions, the, the, the whole dynamics, the conference board has done a study that said the whole dynamics change. The men's effort norm goes up too. And everyone is more engaged. You know, uh, did, you, did you know that there's 40% fewer financial restatements if you have just one woman on your board? Why? Because they ask questions <laughs> and they uh, don't mind asking questions. Some people say that uh, women might be a little better at speaking truth to power. Ooh, yeah. Okay. And so I'll uh, tell you, I, I tell you what I formulated as my own answer to the why. What I uh -huh. when I was thinking about it, my my own answer to the why this morning was I thought to myself, okay, well. A lot of these boards were, it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to hire my buddy, Johnny, because I know Johnny's on the board and Fred, yeah, me and Fred would play golf together. He's on the board. And then, so then you got like five dudes sitting around a table that all think alike and they don't, yeah. they don't really challenge each other. And they're just like, Hey, let's cool. We're having a board meeting and then let's go to happy hour afterwards. Right? Like that does a lot of good. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought. And I, I would say it, overall boards have gotten more serious. Okay. Uh, you know, it probably helped after the, uh, Sarbanes-Oxley, yeah, uh, right. mm -hmm. that uh, there was a uh, more expectation uh, that first of all, the CEO sign off on the financials and that the board get. So we love uh, the National Association of Corporate Directors. Uh, we're glad that Colorado has a very active chapter very good. in that group. And they are really working all the time to help uh, we, we encourage our, uh, the people that go through our corporate board bound program mm -hmm. to uh, also uh, take advantage of the NACD, National Association okay. of Corporate Directors. I think the, uh, the other thing I was going to mention as to my own personal answer to why was I just related it to my own marriage. Uh, and the fact that, you know, I, I just, I can't tell you just how many times I will say, well, Kim, what do you think about this? You know, and, and often, mm -hmm. often she will have a view that I just hadn't thought about that for, for whatever reason, I don't know. She just, I, she looked at it differently from a different angle exactly. and, and, and it's, and it really just will help me make a more balanced decision. Now I'm not saying I agree with her every time I ask her what her opinion is, but sure. quite, but quite often, quite often um, if I'm talking to her about something, it, I come to a, a more balanced approach. Like balance is the word I'm using. I don't know. There's, there's better uh -huh. words, but, but so I was relating it to that. Cause I, I, I rarely will I make even today for Rider Flex, while I have uh -huh. a great, I have a great team and all of that. If I'm making a big decision as a CEO, I still go to Kim and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's very much the case. Yeah, yeah, it helps you. It helps you look at things from a different perspective. Okay, cool. I was wondering, you know, I was wondering how you were going to answer that because I I see all these stats and I think they're great. 
and I was wondering on the why. So very good. Okay, so is this a nonprofit foundation? How does this, what's the business yeah, model? So, uh, Board Fellow Women's Leadership Foundation is uh, organized as a 501c3. Okay. So, uh, it is um, a nonprofit, and we uh, really appreciate the support of uh, the people that pay a fee for our corporate board fund program, and then also uh, our donors. So, what that is great. Okay, can you tell me, can you share donors versus people paying the fee for the program? What is that? It's it about like? half and half. And how, much, how much of your job as chair is out there raising money? Is that, is that, is that Not a, nearly uh, enough. You know, we really haven't focused on it uh, from as much as we should. We are trying to do that more. But uh, a lot of what we have is the value of a great network. Okay. <laughs> so we were talking about networks on boards. But we have uh, mentors in this state. We have people that are on corporate boards that volunteer to mentor our participants. I see. We have a lot of in-kind support. Uh, so, but we do, we do realize that we could be much more successful uh, <laughs> if we focus a little bit more on fundraising. So let me ask you a couple let me ask you a couple of advice questions here because I know we have about 10 minutes left. And so, and I could talk to you probably for another four hours, but right. I want to hit you with this. Um, first time board member, they just got their first board seat, whether it's male or female, they just got their first board seat. What advice are you giving that listener today? Well, first of all, be sure you really understand the company. Uh, you understand it from, uh, everything the company says, their own reports. You understand it from the investor's perspective. You understand it from uh, customers and competitors' perspective. So the more you can benchmark how your company is performing versus uh, its competitors, mm. then the more insightful you'll be. Mm. Uh, one of the things is to that's often difficult when an executive accepts their first board position is you're no longer operating. So, you know, you have to respect that the CEO and their leadership team is responsible for bringing in the results. But what you need to do is look at it at a, a very strategic level. Is the company prepared for the future? Is the company aware of all of their risk? Have they, uh, just by asking probing questions, are you confident that uh, they really thought from different angles about mm. how to uh, manage the risk and how to take advantage of their opportunities. Mm. So I, I guess the, the thing is uh, realize your shift in role and uh, then also understand what your responsibilities are in governance. You want to support your CEO. You want to support that team. You want them to be successful. Uh, especially if you're starting out with a smaller entrepreneurial company, you know, you, you really need to be uh, playing that role. But you also have a responsibility to the investors and you need to be sure that uh, difficult questions are asked. And if you, you have the courage to, if you see it differently than what the CEO does or what the other directors do, be sure that's at least surfaced. Mm -hmm. uh, for discussion. Very, very good. How about uh, a couple of traits that you have seen in excellent CEOs that you've worked with and maybe a couple of bad things you've seen with CEOs? Uh, anything you want to share? <laughs> well, uh, some great CEOs. Um, back at US West, uh, Jack McAllister was our uh, founding CEO when we came together as three companies. Okay. He was so collaborative and so, um, well, he was definitely at the forefront for diversity. He built a strong team. Uh, mm -hmm. It was really great. Uh, Dick McCormick was his successor. Uh, then Saul Trujillo, who I still keep in touch with and respect a great deal. Uh, he uh, was successful at U.S. West and has gone on to uh, to be the CEO of a much larger company, uh, Telstra in, in Australia. Okay. And he uh, now is uh, on quite a few boards and making a big difference on that. If you had to rank, if you had to, if you had to rank 
vision, let's call it vision and strategy. Let's put that the mm-hmm. same. If you had to put vision and strategy for the selection and management of the team, if you had to force rank those, which one makes them the most successful? If you had to force rank them, vision and strategy or the, or the, <laughs> or the selection and you management know, of the team? It is hard. It's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, uh, I know it? a lot of people say it, you've got to pay attention to the selection of the team. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can have a great vision, but if you don't have the team that can really execute it, uh, you're not going to succeed. Yep. So, but on the other hand, you can be turning out and doing what you've been doing uh, very well. And if you don't have a strategic view for the future, you can fail. So, yep, Yep. totally agree. It's nice to have both, right? Yeah. (laughs) Let me ask you two more questions. We're almost done here. If you could call your and I asked Barbara the same questions. So if you could call your 21-year-old self, I'm guessing, I, can't, I don't know, you were probably 20, 21 coming out of Texas Wesleyan, I'm guessing, somewhere in there. If you could call that young lady on graduation day at Texas Wesleyan and tell her anything, if you could go back in time and make that phone call, what would you tell her? Well, you know, I think a lot of what I would say is to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, you know, for me, I, I mentioned that business was not my comfort zone. I mean, when I was in college, I sort of thought, yeah, it had to be a nerd or maybe a capitalist pig to want to go into <laughs> business, you know? And, but then when I got into business and I, I loved it and I saw that it can accomplish a great deal of good and, and get out of your comfort zone. We talked about mind versus staff get out of this country into another country. I learned so much um, by working internationally. Uh, one of the things I, we haven't mentioned is I, I helped found and start a home health company. Uh, uh, that's right. Let's talk about uh, that. <laughs> we successfully uh, sold after five years. And nice. so that was something I'd never done, but that was a, a, good, uh, a good thing. So I think uh, a lot of us, and I think women, I, I, if I, for myself and for uh, other women, I would say, really think about what occupation you want. I mean, if you're passionate about an occupation that mainly women hold, great, pursue it. But have you really considered tech? Have you really considered software development? Hey, have you looked at the pay of these different jobs? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's the only factor, but we talked about that uh, right now we're at 82 cents uh, on a dollar. About mm-hmm. half of that pay gap is because of differences in industry and occupation. I see. So think about that. Uh, the other th- thing, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. be willing to pour your heart and soul in it. And um, if you're going to be successful, I think that commitment is what has to come through. But I would probably, t- uh, one thing, if I were looking back, I would try t- to smell the roses a little bit more along the way. <laughs> 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 it's a delicate balance, but I think, uh, you know, just really appreciating how wonderful life is uh, and every moment is. Uh, something that you need to stay grounded and and not I guess one thing that um I mentioned Frank earlier and uh at one point in my career where it was not progressing as much as as I wanted and I was very discouraged and he said uh you know what I love you the same if you're working at McDonald's or you're an executive and that was nice to hear and nice to know that even though you do pour a lot of energy into this executive role and into this uh, success that you want to have with the nonprofit that I'm working on now, it's, it's not your identity. Mm. Your, who you are as a person is even more important than Mm. all of that. That's special. 
I, yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. I, you know, one of the things that I love about you is that you could like, I'm, I'm just assuming you and Frank could just travel the world right now. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have to do anything if you didn't want to, you could just be like, okay, Hey, we're going to, we're just going to go yeah. and just relax. I'm going to sit on the beach every day, whatever. Like you could do that, right. but, but here you are still giving back and you, your passion around wanting to teach and mentor is so strong still yeah. today. Like, you know, I just, I feel like, like if you couldn't do that, you, you, you would be lost, right? Cause it's, that's just who you are. Like I have to teach and mentor and coach and lead and help. Um, and it, the fact yes, that, yeah, that's true. I, it, it's very important to me. I mean, I think one of your questions was, what do you wake up thinking about? You know, I wake up thinking about how we're going to move this needle uh, <laughs> to get uh, more women on boards. But You're doing a good I job. also think that uh, it was important. I told you I took two years of leisure. Mm -hmm. I forced myself not to... Uh, be so goal oriented for because I felt like I needed that for balance. Yeah. And so uh, I think mm -hmm. it is uh, important from time to time to just stop and reflect and say, okay, in my life right now, where do I focus? Where do I focus? I, by the way, I love how you've been around the world. And at the end of the day, it's about Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's We're going to be number one. We will yeah. be. You're doing a great job. Congratulations on everything you're doing there at Boardbound and such a wonderful career, wonderful human being. We need, <laughs> we, we need more Joe Lims walking around on the planet. We'll be just fine, right? Oh, well, thank you very, very much. It's been great. I appreciate you being on the RiderFlex podcast. Thank you, Joe Lynn. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.